This is part one of five on the story of Emma Watson Miller Curbs. Her story is titled Papa, How Did You Say Goodbye? She recounts her escape from Russia during the Bolshevik Revolution. Emma was born on July 13, 1911. Two Russian revolutions took place in 1917, this was one of the most explosive political events of the 20th century. The violent revolution marked the end of the Romanov dynasty and 304 years of Russian imperial rule. The Bolshevik Revolution was led by leftist revolutionary Vladimir Lenin, and the Bolsheviks seized power and destroyed the tradition of Tsarist rule. Civil war broke out later this year and the Red Army, led by Lenin, took control and established the Soviet Union. The Bolsheviks would later become the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. Enjoy! Share with you a little bit of uh, my childhood in Russia. We are in Russia, often land writers to get Germans to induce them to come to Russia and settle there. That's when our ancestors came and settled there. And the whole area there was dotted with villages and the people almost 100% German as we were in our village. We didn't have any Russians in our village at all. We had German schools, and there's one church. We were all Lutheran, every one of us. However, I learned since we came to this country that we had one lady in the northern end of the village that kept Saturday and Sunday. I never knew that while we were there. And uh, whether she was Adventist or whether she was uh, Jewish, I did not know. But the rest of the people all knew them. And uh, the people that lived in the village hoed and uh, farmed the uh, area surrounding the village. Due to the severe cold, it was uh, not advisable to live out on the land. To begin with, we didn't have any water out there. In fact, our village, even though it had over 300 dwellings and each dwelling, had quite a few people in it because it was a large family, and the custom was that uh, father, mother, they should marry sons and their children, and the children's children a group lived together until the uh, windows literally burst that, you know, out. Then they divided and moved somewhere else. But uh, we had no water in that village at all. There wasn't a single well. There was a huge spring that was about a half a mile down in the valley, and literal. Uh, I can't explain, a stream of water gushed out of the rocks from the earth. And this is where we got our water. Now, the ladies carried those rocks. They have these things across their shoulders, you know, with buckets hanging on them. I got my share of it, even though I was little. And we'd carry the water up to the house, to the home, and uh, of course, some would follow up. And as I said, we had this one church. It was only used in the uh, summertime, again, due to the severe cold. We did not heat it in the wintertime. The wintertime we had our church in the, in the what was known as the schoolhouse, not the schoolmaster. And uh, while I'm talking about the church, I want to tell you about our village bell. Uh, there was a huge, a huge bell tower uh, next to the church yard. And there were two bells there. One was a huge booming bell, and the other one was uh, what they called a small bell. Oh, it wasn't quite large, but it had a mellow, soft, lady-like tone, so to speak. Now, these bells were used for everything. They called us to church, they 
called us to school, they called us for the funeral, they rang at four o'clock in the afternoon. Why, I don't know, except the way you went for that probably. And uh, they always announced when someone died in the village, that when the small bell rang and you could hear that tingle, you knew it was a child. If the large bell moved out, it was an adult. So then everybody sent somebody to the bell tower to find out who died. And so this, and in no time at all, it was like a freight ride, and everybody in the village knew who had died. It's amazing how the lives have transformed. And everyone did everything in unison. In the spring, everybody plowed at the same time. Everybody planted potatoes at the same time, or seeded, whatever it was, the whole village did it at the same time. And the same with the harvest. We all harvested everything at the same time, which of course is reasonable because it was time and so it was time to do this. They all did everything at the same time. And in the fall day, when everything was gathered in, then the ladies would start their spinning and carding the wool and spinning the yarn and whatever else had to had to be done. Nero wanted to tell you a little something about that there were home remedies that would really knock your eye out and some of the uh, superstitions, for instance, there was one And after I uh, tell you about this, it might explain it. When a child, a small child, a baby, had colic or stomach ache, whatever you may call it, I remember this very well. Why, uh, as a last measure, the, uh, they would send one of the boys out to find some sparrow droppings. Now, in our case there, we had uh, uh, the shutters on the houses there, again, was due to the bad cold and the at night, in the wintertime, the shutters were closed. And on the bus, there were sparrows roosted. There were just lots of very clean sparrow droppings. So they'd bring in a handful, and my mother would put uh, a few breadcrumbs in the center of a little white cloth, and a little bit of sugar, and a nice spoonful of the sparrow droppings. Yeah, and then they would wet it and use that as a pacifier. Now it worked. How? I don't know. But it worked. It worked. And another one that I actually remember, I mean, this happened to me when I was about, I guess it was about seven, and I grew this huge mortise on my little toe. It got bigger and bigger, and finally, it was so large, I could hardly put a shoe or boot on it. So somebody said, just wait to my mother. When the, uh, the head of a house dies, you just go when he or she is laid out, and put the finger on the mortise and said, person. And it was taken off. Well, anyway, finally uh, we were told that old Mr. Gans had died down in the south end of the village. So it was in the winter time. I'll never forget that night. So my mother bundled us up herself and we uh, crunched over the snow in the dark down to this house. We walked in. And my mother told the baby good evening, the daughter in law, and told her what we wanted. And she said, Oh, she said, That isn't going to you can't speak. If you want that to work, she said, oh, don't speak. But she said, you'll be laid out another day and you come back tomorrow. Well, we went through the same process the next day. And we went in and without a word, we went into the cold room where the elderly gentleman was laid out, took off my boot, took his strong finger of the right hand, had it done right, put it three times to the ward. I don't know what you're going to ask. Did it work? It did. Now, I don't care what did it. I believe Satan is a miracle. 
fucking work. That wart started turning white and crumbling away, just like uh, like cheese, like cottage cheese. And within three or four days, that wart was gone. Okay, I couldn't tell that it was ever there. Now, I know it worked. I could tell you all the strings of all these little home remedies and superstitions, but uh, we don't want to go into all into all that. But it's one of our Well, that, yes. Well, anyway, I did want to say that our life up to this point was a very peaceful existence. I mean, there was a tranquility and a quietness and a security that we had nothing to fear. We had plenty of everything. We had plenty of food. Now, during all these times that I'm talking about, my father was in the army. Uh, the only recollection I have of Papa was that he would come home or leave once. And then, finally, this is in 1971. Anyway, he came home for good. And then we started hearing uh, rumors that communism, Bolshevism, from all this, of course, to a child, you wonder, I used to wonder, are communists or Bolsheviks, are they human things, or are they some kind of a creature? But anyway, the, the parents, all, everyone always talked about this in almost hushed tones. And we'd hear stories of where well, they went into villages and actually took people's things away from food and such. And then a little later we heard why they even went into villages and took people's horses and such. Well, this was all to us at that time rumor. It hadn't gotten to our village yet. But then one early spring morning there came a group, they, they called it Bolsheviks, and they came to our village. They were
we have to take and put it on wagons, haul it out, side of the village, dig ditches, and bury it. So this is one of the first experiences with the
the new start time is on a brand new day for the future clock. But take care of the brand new clock on your phone. We still have a card that comes here with extra butter, sugar, and water. All you need to tap is this button here. This is what you turn on to calculate the percentage off on the brand. And finally, as in preparation, you always have to put a man that goes down in the bath and sprinkle them with water and a little lemon for the stuff to try out how it works with this Evelyn Plateau cleanser. And uh, keep on adding. You know, it is surprising that with the way the country was when Edibon was still having enough hope and uh, and optimism to put their money in the stocks like that. Oh, I didn't tell you why they wanted to make that side disappear. When we heard that they were planning to divert any sports gambling companies, they sent word to us that we were to take the gambling from our hands and uh, they were going to set up shop in the village there and our house was going to be the poacher so we knew what that meant, either Siberia or Russia. So that was what got them to launch the thing. So anyway, we got all prepared. It's Sam, bought our house, and we bought it early for almost all the potatoes and corn and oil. Big potatoes, too. They were big oil. And um, uh, we sold the rest of our stuff. So in order to take the rest of the money, our mom and me went out, quilted,
but everything is full of light. And the light carries light and fever, they define that the light carries quantum light. So it's not just the monkeys which are emitting fever. And anyway, we were so full of light when we get into a room with nothing, the light carries everywhere. And we find that we have extraordinary contact with every other living thing. Our hair was first full and hip with the same hair, right? Oh, 
maybe my mother changed her mind. Uh, she talked to make her wife. Mary and Jill together. That he would have to stand to be confronted by a man naked like that and then standing there and ugly around a rejected young man. Anyway, men have to take it on her hood and make her send it to the So we arrived in Minsky uh, sometime in January, and that was, of course, quite near the, the uh, Polish border. That's where we were heading. And we got there just when it was getting dark, and it was snowing, and it was cold, and uh, the refugees couldn't stay in the depot but 30 minutes. I asked Papa later on why. The Papa fight they put us out in the street because we could only stay in 30 minutes. But anyway, it wasn't long, and we were hustled out in the street. Bundles, babies, everything. And it, it was cold. And there we sat in the snow, in the street, with our bundles. We put them in a, in a circle, and we put our feet to the inside to shield ourselves from the, from the cold. And that was the only time at that time that I ever heard Mama uh, I wouldn't say talk discouragement or sound discouraged because we were there and it was so cold and the children were cold and Papa had gone to find someone that had taken them. She said, now if we had only stayed home, she said, at least we could be in our warm beds. But anyway, about two or three hours later, Papa came back. He had found a, a Jewish family that would take us in. So we uh, went to, uh, to this family's house. And we stayed there a whole, a whole week also because Papa was trying to find a guide that would guide us to a good place on the Russian-Polish border that we could get across. So, so um, a week later, even, I don't remember that we ever were on a train again from there until we reached the, across the Polish border. We were taken by sled by these people. They took us through one city, then onto the Polish border one night. And there was a big forest. I remember the forest on the right side. If there was one on the left, I don't remember. But there was a reason why I remember that one on the right. There was a big forest on the right side. And the, in order to go across the border into Poland, you had to go through a valley. And it was quite a distance. We walked for several hours. And the snow was so deep. You get one foot out and your other one would go down to the knee. And we just struggled through that snow and uh, trying to get into Poland. Well, after about three hours or so, all of a sudden, two shadows detached themselves from the, um, from the woods to the right of us. That's why I remember that forest on the right. And two soldiers with guns drawn came towards us. And of course, we stopped. They commanded us. And we stopped all right. And uh, Papa 
ladies wander down the room and talk to them. And um, then in a little bit, Papa and these soldiers came over to where we were, and lo and behold, instead of them taking us back you know, into Russia, they grabbed us up in quite a hurry, and one of them took the baby from Mama. Mama had collapsed twice or so during the night when we were walking. She was sick by then, too. And they took us over into Poland. They took us uh, up the, the incline, and there was a house and a nice Polish family, and, and they... Excuse me. Got to blow my nose. Why didn't they uh, take us back? He said, well, he bribed them while he was over to the side talking to them. He offered them money. Well, they were nice young kids. They were just doing their duty as they were told to do it, and they weren't all the bad people. And when I tell you this, don't ever think that I have any animosity or hatred in my heart against any of them, even though they persecuted us, because you just don't think of that at all. That's the kind of side. But anyway, they took us to this family, and everything was under the same roof there. We went in uh, down sort of a hallway, and there was a little stall with a, with a cow in it. And at the end of the hall was the, uh, the door that led into their actual dwelling. The chickens were under the stove, and uh, this lady uh, had nice warm potatoes cooked for us. I remember us eating the potatoes. No potatoes ever tasted that good before or after. We were so cold and hungry, of course. And then she put us all to bed, and we stayed there through the night. And the next morning, the soldiers were right there again, and they took us by sled to, to a house someplace there. I don't know what it was. I've often wondered. I should have asked Papa what we never knew that until it was too late. But anyway, there was a house there, and uh, they took us inside. And if any of you had a uh, picture in your readers, we did when we were small in Russia, and it showed a den of thieves in those, in those pictures with a, with a bunch of men sitting around a table with coins stacked up. You know, you see pictures like that arise. And we walked in there, and I thought, it's a reality. There are dens of thieves. There they were. A bunch of men sitting around a long table and money stacked literally this high. I mean, gold and silver just where they had robbed the refugees as they came through. But we were no exception. They did us. And so we all had to undress. And they took our little money bags off. They took out what they wanted. And uh, one of them took Mama's jacket with the gold in it. They ripped it completely open. They never left us one gold coin. They took them all. They took all our gold and silver. They left us none. Well, a few coins, not, but I mean, as a whole, there were a few coins that Papa still had. But they left us of the other, the paper money, especially that from the old regime, because when the Bolsheviks took over, uh, they printed new money. And, uh, but people still took the old money. They were still glad to get it. So we had that, and this is what helped us through. So Papa, then, after they had robbed us and we could dress again, uh, we, uh, Papa again, hunted a place, and a family took us. Very nice, and nice people, and uh, uh, and these, these other people that the Polish family that took us in that first night. I've often thought since then. Um, I wonder if someday uh, whether they'll be in heaven, and a person will see them and uh, just thank them.
And but anyway, the second night we had to stay there again. So so we uh, and Papa found another family because we were quite a distance from this other couple. And uh, the next morning we went by sled. And uh, somehow along the way we uh, acquired uh, a Russian couple. They were refugees too, and they were with us. So we went by sled. We went quite a ways and um, went. Well, I won't mention the town, but we went, so I don't know just where. We first got a train. Anyway, in Poland was the first place where we then had passenger trains. So we got on a train there, and that took us to Warsaw, which I'll mention, because in Warsaw, by that time, we were all quite sick. And uh, my older brother, he was so sick that he couldn't go on. So... There was nothing to do but to leave him behind. But being in Poland, we were in friendly territory, so to speak. So Papa made arrangements for him to be put in the hospital, my brother. They said, yes, he was hospitalized, but of course, he was so sick, we didn't know whether we'd ever see him again. And we went on and um, went through Poznan and on to the town near the German border. In fact, that little town was right at the German border. And there were a lot of army barracks there. I suppose there was in World War One. I, I would think so, because there were a lot of, of barracks all over. And when we got there, it was early morning, and it was a most dismal, I tell you. It was, there was snow on the ground, and the snow was dirty and hard and crunchy, and we didn't Good. And Mama had had a heart attack on the train just before we got off, and she no longer could walk by herself. She had to be helped into the barracks. And when we got in there, the barracks was, uh, well, you're all familiar, they're long buildings. And on each side, they had built a platform off the ground about a foot and a half high, just wooden platforms. And the people would put straw on there, and uh, the families bed down on those all, you know, on each side, and there's just dirt floor in the middle, and there was a pile of straw on one end. So Papa took some straw, and he put it on the ground in the middle of the island where we had to go way to the end. There was still a little space platform left, and uh, he put Mama down on that straw, and a doctor came and gave her an injection, and uh, they took her to what they called the sick barracks that, that morning still. So they took her and the baby to the sick barracks, and um, the, the, the uh, Polish people, they tried to be uh, good to us. They did what they could, but which wasn't too much when you consider that thousands of refugees come in there full of life and sick and hungry and emaciated and whatever else. It's, uh, it, it's a lot that those people have to do. And the rest of us, we stayed out in the barracks, even though we were not feeling good. We, uh, we still did not go to the sick barracks at the time. And, I, and one morning, I must tell this, I got away from Papa. I, I think I was always too nosy anyway. And I went outside to go to the bathroom. There were in the back, there was an enclosure. It was a sort of wooden walls. And three sides of the thing were enclosed. And then one side was open with sort of a little half-board wall there so you couldn't look in. And I went in behind this, and when I got in there, um, 
see it near the uh, bathroom consisted of just wooden troughs all along the edge of the wall. But these troughs were full and running over and frozen because it had snow in there. And the, the ground, a lot of people had diarrhea, so the ground was, uh, you know, slippery that morning. The, uh, the sun was sort of out and weak, and this was all a mess. And all of a sudden, my feet went this way, and Emma went that way. And I went headlong into there. My hands, as I tried to, you know, to get up, the hands would slip, my feet would slip too. And I was really a mess. So finally, a man walked by and he saw my predicament and came in, got me by the back of the coat, stood me upright, brought me out into the um, sheltered spot by the barracks in the sunshine, and he asked whose child I was. Well, I told him, and it's got Papa. Yes, he told him what a mess I was. And Papa came out and he had a big pot full of licorice root tea because we never drank water as such. We took a lot of licorice root tea, pulverized licorice root. Uh, dry licorice root along, and this we put in the water when we boiled it. And he had made a pot full of this, and just was warm, and he brought it out and poured it on my hand, poured it on a rag, and he scrubbed me up. You know, to this very day, I don't know that I ever went to the bathroom. I really don't. I don't. I don't know that I ever did. I never. I, I, I don't remember. Anyway, he cleaned me up. This concludes part one. The next episode will continue right where she left off.